Well, good morning, and um, glad to see you made it here in spite of winter. Something went wrong with the weather a couple days ago. I don't know what's wrong with it. We got a team on it. They say they should have it fixed in about four and a half months. So we'll see if uh, if they can get it repaired. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open the book of Genesis as we continue to go line by line, precept upon precept, through the Bible. Genesis chapter 35 is where we're going to be today with a couple of verses from 34 of last week. And so we're going to look at this. Again, following the service, you're all invited to stay. We have coffee and donuts across the hall. Always a good time to meet new people and uh, share what God's done in your life. And so just want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. And God, may we have drawn closer to you. May we have known you in a better and a deeper way than before and to understand the depths and the riches of your word. And so we know that was by your Holy Spirit these things were written and it's by your Holy Spirit they go into our heart and we remember them. And so Lord, do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at the life of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the Jewish race. And through that came Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at the sons of Jacob, he had 12 of them through several different women. Well, the point is, is that there was always issues. We remember God told Jacob, go to Bethel. When he was living in his father-in-law's house, Laban, he had a heart desire to go back where he came from. And so he's on his way, he gets ready to go, all the different stories, but instead of going to Bethel, he makes a left turn and goes to Shechem. Shechem is where his uh, uh, family got into trouble. His daughter went into town. She got raped by a guy. Her brothers, Jacob's sons, got extremely angry and very, very jealous. And so basically they killed the town off. Now as we look at this, and we're just going to look at verse 30 of chapter 34, and then we're going to go to uh, uh, chapter 35. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the people and the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I will be destroyed, my household and I. He said, because of what you did to the males of Shechem, now everybody's going to want to unite against me. Now it's interesting, friends, as we look at this, you're going to notice two names, Simeon and Levi. These are Jacob's second and third sons. Now you're going to say, well, why is that important? Because you have shamed me, okay? You know, a lot of people wonder, why is Jesus Christ the lion of the tribe of Judah? After all, Judah was the fourth son that was born. Why wouldn't it be Reuben, the firstborn? Isn't that the firstborn, the one that always got all the goodies? And what about the second and the third? Well, this is where we find Simeon and Levi come in. But what about, what about Reuben? We're going to find out a little bit about him. And we're going to find out why 
Jesus came through Judah. Then God said to Jacob, I like this, God still talks to him. In spite of his problems in his life, God still speaks to him. And by the way, friends, you will go through many things in your Christian experience. Some good, some bad, but remember this, God is bigger than the things you've done wrong, and God will always continue to speak to you because of one great reason. He loves you. (laughs) I love that about God. He knows our frame is dust. And God intervenes and is everything that we are not. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, God begins His work in you. Now remember this, He will not begin His work in you unless you ask Him to. That's why we become born again. Jesus said in John 3, Marvel not that I say to you, to a religious leader of the day, you must be born again. Why was that? Because it's when we become born again, we surrender our life to God. Now we're about daddy's business. We're not about our own. And prayerfully, the kingdom of heaven is advanced. That's the whole idea. We live in a big lost world. I don't know if you've noticed lately how lost it really is. When we even look at our own legislators, like in California, legalizing pedophilia between a 14-year-old and a 24-year-old, and that's okay now. It's kind of left up to the judge the way he feels about it that day, the pedophilia law that was just passed in California a few weeks ago. We live in a lost world. The Bible says, you are salt, you are light. One of the reasons we gather here together on Sunday morning is not to sell Amway products. We gather here this morning to encourage one another in the faith. And to not look at church as a furtherance of a business, but rather the furtherance of God's kingdom. God wants to accomplish something with us collectively, And individually. Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. I have seen great crowds of people that call themselves Christians with zero fruit in their life. I don't want to be there. I was sharing right before service with a friend and I said, remember in the Bible where there was an angel and there was the pool of Siloam and the angel would come down and trouble the waters and when they'd see the water moving, the first one in the water got healed. That's where I want to be. I want to be where God moves the waters. Because I know God is here. And because God is here and God's refining us, He's got something great for you. Never rule yourself out. Well, who am I? I'm just an insignificant nobody. No, 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 no. Never believe that. You are part of something so much greater than you would ever dream. I often wonder sometimes if the angels don't look in to us as human beings going, I just wonder if they really understand how much God is in their life. Because God is in your life. That's why we become born again. No longer I, Paul says, live, but Christ who lives within me. Why? Why does he say that? Because God's got something so much bigger for you than eight to five. He wants to inspire us to do far beyond that which we can ask or think. 
That's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. Not Johnny jump up and roll down the aisles and swing on chandeliers, but we need to be guided by the Holy Spirit to know how to navigate every day for the maximum for the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And we look at that and we think about these things and we think about the association and friendships and relationships that we have with each other. Do you know you become more like who you hang out with? The book of Proverbs says, be careful of the company you keep. Why is that? Because they will rub off on you and you will rub off on them. But if you're around people who love Jesus, that's going to increase it. God told Jacob, go to Bethel. Jacob goes to Shechem in the last chapter and it's a disaster. Insomuch, he said to his two sons that were the spearheads of killing all these people, you have made me a disgrace to the land. You know what's really weird about the last chapter? It's one of those chapters in the Bible that really, if you were trying to write about how wonderful a group of people were, like in a, uh, 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 you know, in your, in your uh, family tree, you'd want to leave out. Do you know in the previous chapter, God is not mentioned one time. Yet in this chapter, God's mentioned almost in every verse. What's the difference? When you're where God wants you to be, you're blessed. And where you're not where God doesn't want you to be, there's going to be trouble. It's just the way it works. Then God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel. It's interesting again to me. He told him to go there. He didn't go. He went somewhere else. He goes back and God speaks to him and says, go to Bethel. You know, there's a long way around the mulberry bush, isn't there? We can say, okay, God, I know what you want, but I'm going to do what I want over here. God says, no, I want you over here, but I want to be over here. And you ever notice that? And you get in a fight with God? Have you ever said, you know, I would give a million dollars for a one-minute cell phone call with God? Hi, God, i got a question for you. We all have felt that way. But it is interesting to me that when God's will is in your life, he will always direct you back to where he wants you to go. That's the way God works. Why? Because there's a blessing where he wants you to go. Because he loves you. I have pre-designed this perfect blessing for this person if they will just go there. And us... I want to wander around over here someplace. I want to be over here. God says, no, 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 no. The blessing is right here. Would you please just come over here? And we always think we know more than God. What attracted Jacob to Shechem in the first place? We don't know. It doesn't say. Do you know when the Bible is silent on a matter? I usually believe that that is so we could add whatever maybe thing about us that keeps us from being where God wants us to be. Let me put it like this. When it's not specific, enter your issue here. What keeps you from being where God wants you to be? Now, the next question is, how do you know where God wants you to be? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Where evil is, confusion is. If you don't know what's going on, maybe it's because you're not clear, and so God wants you to move where he wants you to be. God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. 
Dwell there. That means live there. This is where I want you to be, okay? And make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Wow. Now here we find something. One of the things you're going to find in this chapter is a a reoccurrence of remembrance. Remembrance. I think that's really important. Remember. Remember. You know why? Because I forget. Okay, I do that a lot. But God wants us to remember. Why? So not only do we remember the blessings of God in our life, but we also remember the dangers of not being where God wants us to be. He goes, I took you here, rebuild an altar where I met you when you were running from your brother. Isn't it weird that God reminds him that he was running from his brother? I I think it's kind of weird. It's like God saying, look, you were running from your brother, but I protected you all these years. Verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Wow. Evidently, in his entourage, there was idolaters. They came out of the old country, out of the land of Laban, but they were still holding on. You know who one of them was? His wife, Rachel. Now again, uh, she's the one that stole the family gods. They were underneath her when Laban came and said, you stole my gods. And he goes, well, look, look the house over. You can find anybody. Oh, she looked all over, couldn't find them. Some people wonder why she kept them. Well, evidently she might have been still worshiping if this has anything to do with it. But they had servants as well. They were doing all kinds of things. Notice he says, it says, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves. That means separate yourselves. Change your garments. Isn't that weird? Change your clothes? Why do you change your clothes? I don't know. But evidently maybe their clothes had some occultic things about it. Maybe there were things that were in their clothes that there was not right. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming for a church whose garments are without spot or wrinkle. You know what I found about spots and wrinkles? Spots are usually caused, I know this firsthand, by sloppy eating habits. I can dribble, you know, I think one of the prerequisites of Italian food is you must wear half of it. I mean, noodles that are a foot long, come on. You know, you're a little kid, you suck it up, and the noodle goes, and it's flipping tomato sauce all over the kitchen. Well, sloppy eating habits will cause spots in your garment. I think a lot of times Christians have a lot of sloppy eating habits. They eat at a lot of places they shouldn't be. They, they read a lot of stuff and that they think is Christianity, but it really isn't. The other thing without spot or wrinkle. How do you get wrinkles in your garment? Setting on them. You know, you don't get wrinkles in your garment when you're wearing them. You get wrinkles in your garments when you're setting. Slopping eating habits and setting on your garments. Those will cause spots and wrinkles. Well, notice it says, put away your clothes. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel 
And I will make an altar there to God who will answer me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. I think it's interesting that he recognized in the way that I have gone. Yes, when I was running from Esau, my brother, because he was going to kill me, over the whole birthright thing, yes, God's been with me the whole time. And notice he also says, in the day of my distress. First of all, friends, being a Christian will not, and a follower of God, does not exempt us from distress. You know, we can go along and say, everything is beautiful. You know, I mean, we want to think that. In our Christian experience, that as a, child, as a king's kid, I never need to have any pain or sorrow in my life. I, everything goes my way. Spotted sky, you know, cloudy skies turn to blue, waters part when I walk through. I'm a king's kid. I got tinted glass and Erico. Really? Well, when I read the Bible, I find Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Why is that? You're a live fish going against a current in the world going to hell. Politically incorrect. Yeah, no, it's real. Hell's a real place. That's why we're still here. I'd love it if we had altar calls at the end of the service. Do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? Yes, I do. They're gone. Well, that works great. But we're still here. Why? Because we're saved to serve. And do you realize that God leaves us here not to be mean to us, but the Bible says that we lay up for ourselves, for ourselves, treasure in heaven. I want all of you, part of my job as a pastor is to make sure that when you go to heaven, you got as many rewards as you can. Not just, well, I made it by the skin of my teeth. I'm glad I'm here. But God goes, oh, you here. What are these? Those are all the crowns you get for your service to God. The Bible says to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It tells me that there is some kind of a massive value system in heaven, far beyond that which we understand here on this earth. And that every one of us living today is determining what kind of rewards we will have. And so he says, he answered me in the day of my distress. Friends, You're going to have distress in your life. But it's good to know you've got a God in heaven that knows more about tomorrow than you remember about yesterday and we can trust in him. Verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands. Wow, that's kind of weird. They were all toting this junk all over the place. And all their earrings which were in their ears. Now evidently, these earrings had something to do identifying them with these gods. That's why he, they, they took them out. And Jacob hid them, literally buried them, under a Timberneth tree, which is by Shechem. So somewhere out there in the desert, for all you treasure seekers and all you uh, raiders of the Lost Ark people, somewhere out there, there's a tree with a bunch of gold earrings. That'll keep you awake at night. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Friends, this is a very important verse. Though Jacob did not deserve God's divine protection, God put it in the hearts of those cities that he was so scared that we're going to come after him back in the preceding chapter. 
God put fear in their hearts to leave him alone. Remember this. God is a supernatural God. And your God will take care of you when you are doing what God wants you to do. He was in God's will. He was going back to Bethel where God told him to go. And when you are going where God wants you to go, you are under divine protection. I like that. Nothing can happen to you. You're invincible. You know, we need to kind of live more like we're invincible as Christians who love God. Because I think a lot of times the devil likes to scare us. You know, the Bible tells us, Peter says, that your adversary, the enemy, is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he can devour. Jesus ripped his teeth out on the cross. But I want to tell you, you still have an enemy that wants to devour you, to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. And his plans are well laid to stop you. It can even come in packages of Christianity. It can come in packages of an individual. It can come in all kinds of packages to stop you from what God wants you ultimately to do. If he can't stop you, all he needs to do is trip you up. And so they got rid of all the other things. You know, the Bible says a double-minded man, as James says, is unstable in all of his ways. Get rid of all these false gods. Why? Because when God deals with you, he doesn't want you, me, anyone to say, wow, pure luck. That's God's hand in your life. See, a lot of times we like to, we like to think that it's by some merit of our own great wondrous thoughts and, and actions that these things have happened. Friends, it's God's blessing in your life. It's God's blessing. It isn't that that we deserved it. It's just that God says, as a matter of fact, buddy, I love you here. And God pours on us his bucket of gold and love, and it changes us for the rest of our lives. I like that. That's the God we serve. And you say, but Mike, that's good for them, but what about me? No, God doesn't have favorites. God loves all of us, each one of us, And he will do the same great wondrous works in you as he will for anybody else. He goes on and he says, and by the way, he calls them into remembrance. And they gave him all the foreign gods which they had and he buried them. I think it's interesting, he didn't even want to recycle them, melt them down or anything. They were contaminated, get rid of them. And you know there's a lot of things in our life that are contaminated we need to get rid of. Things that just aren't right. They just don't have the fingerprints of God on it. By the way, I'm one of those people that look for the fingerprints of God. Again, the stirring of the water by the angel. I look for the fingerprints of God. And when I don't see the fingerprints of God, I want to back off of it. Because the thing is, by their fruit, you will know them. By the things around you, you can discern where God is and where God isn't. And I like to see the fingerprints of God all over me. And I want to see God's fingerprints all over you. Because then I know God is guiding you and directing you and having you be where you're supposed to be. Not in Shechem, but in Bethel where God told you to go. And so they journey. In the terror of God was upon the people of the land. And Jacob, verse 6, came to Lutz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. 
And they built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the Tibernath tree. And so the name of the place is called Elon Bethel, which literally means the Oak of Weeping. Then God appeared to Jacob again, and he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. By the way, God does that. When we're obedient to what God tells us to do, we get our next set of marching orders. That ain't Mike. I want the whole plan now. Okay, I'm going to do this, then 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 I'm going to do this. Are anybody else like that here or just me? I want the whole enchilada, you know. This thing about God telling me one step at a time, I don't like that. Because I like to know where everything's going. But why doesn't God do that? I'm glad you asked. Because it requires faith in Him. I can follow a plan. I find sometimes it's hard to follow God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God says, if I gave you the whole list, Mike, of what I was going to do in your life, you wouldn't believe it anyway. And second of all, if I was to give you the whole plan for your life, you would say, you would say it's too much. So God calls us His children. I like that about children. Have you ever noticed? Anybody here got your kids? You, you, they, have the, the, they have the intention, shortest attention span theater is what they have. You can tell them something and in two seconds they will forgot. I'm like that too with God sometimes. So God says, this is the plan. Go to Bethel. Okay. He gets to Bethel, and then what happens? God speaks to him again. See a pattern here? Maybe a pattern in our own life? That we, okay, God, I'm going to do what you call me to do. And when I get there, by faith, you tell me the next step. See, otherwise, I can leave God out of my life, even as a Christian. I got all the steps, God, right here. Plan one, plan two, plan three, plan four, plan five. Okay, see ya. When I get down here to the bottom someplace, I'll give you a call. God goes, no. No, I, I want you to talk to me every day. Do you know why God wants to talk to you? Because he loves you. Do you know I have found when you love somebody, you can't wait to talk to him again. You ever notice that? Got your sweetie on the phone. Oh, honey, I love you. I don't want to hang up, but I will because I have to because the battery's going dead. But I'll go put it on the charger and then I'll call you right back. See, that's what love does. Love wants to be with the one you love. 
And God says, if the only way I can get you to come and sit down in my lap, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Bible says, I will give you one step at a time, so you'll have to come to me, sit in my lap, put your arm around my neck, and say, Daddy, what do you want me to do next? That's love, friends. That's what God wants. God does not want a mechanical relationship with us. Got that check, got that check, got that check. Okay, I'm cool, you're cool, 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 No, God doesn't do that. What God says is, I want you to come to me. Every day, the author and finisher of our faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And God gives us that. And again, because he loves us. And when you love somebody, you want to be with them. You want to talk to them. You can't talk to them enough. God says, turn your heart inside out and let me see it. And I'll heal your wounds. Friends, that's what we need. So he goes on and he says, God appeared to him again and came from Padamaram and blessed him. And God said to him, You're Jacob. Heelcatcher is your name. But you shall not become called Heelcatcher anymore. But your name shall be Israel. Chosen, led by God. Wow. God changes our nature. Changes who we are. We need that. I can't change on my own. You can spend every dime in the world on psychiatrists and, and counselors and everything. But really, honestly, it's only God that changes us. Because it's only God that can honestly confront us with who we are, where we say, yes, God, I see the need to change. You can have a thousand people saying, you need to change, you need to change, you need to change. And they'll go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-uh. But when God confronts us, there's a difference. There's a change. Because this is coming from somebody not making $100 an hour. But this is actually coming from somebody that says, I love you, period. Friends, that's what the world's looking for. They're looking for answers. You think there's any answers in the newspaper? You think there's any answers in the political world? Nah. You think there's any answers anywhere outside of God? Friends, I'll tell you. Only God can truly love us because he only truly knows us. So it says... God also said to him, I am, the, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply, a nation and a company of nations will proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. By the way, friends, the same can be said for every one of you. That through what Jesus Christ has done in your life, through you, through your ministry, through God leaving you here on this earth, that you didn't get raptured when you got saved, but because you're here, through you, many people will come into the kingdom of God. Remember, that's why we're here. We're saved to serve. And he says, The land which I gave Abraham, Isaac, I give to you. And for your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it, And he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him, Bethel. Wow. 
Now, isn't it weird? Evidently, God must have appeared to him in some kind of a physical form because it says, and then God went up from him. And they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephath, Rachel travailed in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do you not fear? You will have this, don't fear, you will have this son also. And it was so, as her soul was departing, for she died in her childbirth, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. She called him son of sorrow. That's what she called him. But Jacob changed his name just as God changed his. From son of sorrow to son of my right hand. That's what Benjamin means, son of my right hand. You know, I think there's a lot of truth here. To not know people the way they were, but to know the way people God sees them. You know, God, the Bible says, has given us all a brand new name. I don't know what mine is, but I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to get it. Some of you like your name, some of you don't. Have you ever been around somebody that changes their name? That's weird. Now, if you did that, I'm not dissing on you. I don't know. No one come up and said, hey, Mike, talk about this this morning. I didn't do that. But I remember there was somebody I knew, and for years they had a name, Sandy. And then one day they come up and said, I changed my name. I'm now Sonny. But I don't know you as Sonny. I know you as Sonny. So you keep calling the old name. And they get more and more indignant because you don't call them by their new name they made up. But you know, God gave you and me a new name in heaven. God gave Jacob a new name. Not heel catcher anymore. Led, chosen by God. You're not no longer going to be called Son of Sorrow. You're going to be called Son of My Right Hand. It's funny what we learned from our father. And so it says, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which pillar of Rachel's grave is still there to this day. Now that means to the day of this writing, Moses wrote this, so we have a little history lesson in here. Then Israel journeyed and pitched tent beyond the Tower of Elder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and laid with Bildah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. And the sons of Jacob were twelve, and the sons of Levi were. Now, before we go into these names, I want to look at something here. This is a weird verse. Is that, does this appear to be weird to anybody here? When I read the Bible and there's a verse that is kind of in there and it doesn't really have any reason to be in there. Let's review. So, it happened. Verse 22 again. When Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and laid with Bildah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. He defiled his father's concubine. And you say, Mike, that is weird. Why is that there? And all of Israel heard about it. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't say that anybody did anything about it. It just says he did it. And if you study the Bible, it's a defilement. 
Now here's what's weird. Let's review. Reuben was the firstborn, okay? Simeon and Levi, two and three in, in order. The fourth one that was born was Judah. Most people believe, and I am one, that the reason why Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah is because Simeon, Levi, and Reuben disqualified themselves from being in that position and it went to position number four, Judah. I believe this is why Jesus is the tribe of Judah. Not naturally Reuben, the firstborn, because he, as the oldest brother, defiled his father's woman. Pretty serious stuff. And so it lists all these sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bildah, Rachel's maidservants were Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zephah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Memory, or Kirthjeth Arba, that is, Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac, his father, were 180 years. And so Isaac breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It's interesting that these two that were once enemies of each other came together, buried the hatchet, and buried their father. And so we find here some interesting pictures here. And I think one of the most and the key one about all of this is remembrance. You know, the Bible oftentimes says, remember the hole from which you were pulled and the pit from which you were dug. I think sometimes we forget that, even as Christians. I think we think, well, look what I did. You know, it's God's grace. And I want to remind you all, again, look for God's fingerprints in your life. It shows that you have been handled by the King of Kings. I like that. And if you don't see those fingerprints, if you don't see the angels stirring the water, move away. Remembrance in the Bible is not a bad thing. Now sometimes Jesus' shortest sermon in the Bible, he looked at the disciples in the book of Luke and said, remember Lot's wife. And this was when God was going to destroy Sodom. And he said, when you leave, don't look back. I suppose it was probably a very loud sound as the fire and brimstone came down. Maybe the people screaming. And she turned around and she was turned to a pillar of salt. But there's another remembrance in the Bible that talks about remembering your first love. It talks about remembering in the book of Revelation. He said the things you once did out of, out of love, now you're doing out of duty. Remember from whence you have fallen. So remembering is not a bad thing, friends. 
Remembering can tell you all the things, all those near scrapes that God got you through and you're still here and you got a smile on your face and you say, well, maybe everything ain't perfect in my life, but I got a God in heaven who reigns supreme and I remember. Remember God's goodness in your life. Remember, think back on the things that could have gone really wrong and how you could have been really hurt. God's remembrance. You see, if you're not a Christian, maybe all you have in your memories is tears. Because you have no one there that will go and fix the problem. You don't have a daddy who you can crawl up to and say, Lord, okay, what are we going to do today? Keeps it exciting, by the way. You don't have anyone. So you're going around trying to find meaningful purpose of life by talking to your friends, reading what's Gucci, talking to to, um, psychic hotlines. And God says to you, just come to me all your labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what your soul needs, man. Do you know that when your soul's at rest, you make good decisions in your life? And when your life is in turmoil, we respond out of fear. And I can tell you one thing that I know in my life for sure. Every decision that I can think of in my life I made out of fear was the wrong one. God has not given you or me the spirit of fear, but a boldness and a sound mind. That's what you need. This morning, if you don't have that, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. He says, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. In other words, he wants you in his lap. See, this is what's so weird about the cults. Cults always keep you guessing. You got to get out there and do a bunch of religious stuff. They're orange. Sell flowers in airports. Eat organically grown food. You might make it. Really? Religion says, go feel your beads. Say so many Hail Marys. Religion says, get sealed in the temple. Jesus says, come and sit in my lap. Oh, friends, that's not religion. That's relationship. That's not some obscure, far-off, unknowable God. That's where God says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to carry you. Do you need to be carried today? I do. In fact, the longer I live my life, the more I realize I need to be carried every day. And if you're, if you're just laying there bloody and beaten, I just want to tell you there's somebody who will pick you up, but you've got to ask him. He's willing. He's standing right there. Will you say, pick me up and bandage me up? He will. That's what the whole story about the Good Samaritan was about. The Samaritan was Jesus. He's the one that picked the man up, put him on his own beast, and took him and took care of him. I need that. You need that. And you might say, Mike, I had a great week. No problems. I'm cruising. I'm doing good. Tinted glass airco. I'm doing good. And God says, 
Yeah, but next week you're going to have some issues. A lot of bad people out there. We live in a fallen world. But I'm going to be there for you. If you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you can ask Jesus to come in your life. If you've never done this, I invite you to do so. God will take you at your word and change your life. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I am sorry for the way that I've lived my life. Left you out of it. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. To make me the best I can be for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins. So give me a new name this morning. Heal my past. Heal me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to love you more and to love a lost world that doesn't know you. And thank you for eternal life. I spend eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that. Welcome to God's family. Starts with a prayer. God will show you your whole life, his goodness. Got a good God. Friends, it ain't religion. It's not mechanical. It's not a list, checklist. It's where we go daily to our Father. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. That means you had to go daily to go to God and say, because God digs talking to you, man. He wants to just visit with you. Sometimes I'm really a chatterbox to God. I tell him all the things that are on my heart, the things that are wrong. You know, every once in a while, God, as I'm chattering away to God, God will just reach his big old hand down and touch my lips. And then God begins to tell you how much he loves you. And this stuff doesn't matter. What matters is his love for you. We're all going to have those things. And you know, I do feel better when I tell God about the things in my heart. But you know, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes when God does this, it's like, it's okay. And then God in his love, he just pours his love on us. And it just fixes everything. I just want to encourage you this morning, let God be the one that fixes your heart. That stirring of the water, friends, is every day in your life. Let God bless you and heal you and restore you. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. Start reading the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 3, and just read and let God speak to you. He will. Be in fellowship, and yes, I'm still working on a baptism, but there everything's shut down. Maybe I just take everybody out and turn the sprinklers on. I don't know. We'll all become Presbyterians for a short period of time. There you go. But let God be God in your life. And say, Lord, is this really where you want me to be. And let his loving hand guide you. He will. Father, for every person listening today, may your Holy Spirit 
draws close to you. And it was, it was with Jacob, Lord, telling him to go back to Bethel. That's where the blessing is. May we all stay where you want us to be. For those that said yes to you today, Lord, I just pray you anoint them with your love and that you give them your peace.